the Dark Side. I'm your host, Brianna. And I'm Dyson. And this is Dark Adaptation. Episode 70. That's right. 70. Yeah. Pretty crazy. It is kind of crazy. It's a, it's a lot of fucking episodes. I know, right? It's probably yeah. actually like almost 100 episodes, right? Because we do yeah. multiple parters. But, you know, that's not how we break it down. So yeah. it's basically like topic 70. <laughs> yeah. But uh, hopefully you had a great time listening to back-to-back episodes featuring some of our favorite people. We did episode 68, Texarkana Moonlight Murders, with two of our podcast besties, Stephen and Leo believe, from Spoils of Horror. Cannot believe they didn't clinch episode seven, or 69. But, I know, you know, right? But Paige got it. Paige that swoops was, in for the win on that one. And uh, that was uh, last week. She did Hellhounds, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so now we're back to our regular scheduled programming. It's me and Dyson here, and I've got a true crime case. You want me to welcome them again? Why, why not? Welcome! Great. <laughs> <laughs> I thought there was more, and then you just stopped and looked no, you gotta, you gotta constipated. Leave them, yeah, you gotta leave them wanting more. Well, today's episode, welcome to it. Welcome! It's uh, It was originally going to be a Missing Murdered Mysterious episode, focusing on one of the men that we we're going to talk about. But as I kept researching, I found more and more information to the point that I brought it over to regular feed and that it will actually be a two-parter. Yeah. Wow. So that's how much information I found. That, and That, that and, literally went from like, let's do the shortest episode possible to let's do what is more or less the longest we do yeah <laughs> except for that's a lot pass which uh, well that broke you so i was like um excuse me how about the crimes of Dylan millard oh yeah sorry everyone seems to have suppressed that <laughs> <laughs> no i just remember how much diatolov pass was like engrossing that that because i did that one before Dylan millard and three parts was the biggest episode we've ever done Mm. at that point and it was just also so much information it's really an older case and so much to sift through Mm -hmm. to get through the thick of conspiracy type stuff and get right down into the actual details and on top of that it's all russian terminology and name (laughs) yeah that one was fun i was actually re-listening to them because i'm still trying to figure out when i went on a spiel about steven eating ass (laughs) So I was re-listening to the Die Tough Pass series and um haunted by the fact that I called one guy a Pisces when he's actually an Aquarius. Oh. <laughs> like, I don't know why I did that. It's a rookie mistake. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so this two-part series focuses on the disappearance of Terrence Williams and Felipe Santos, who are two men that vanished three months apart under eerily similar circumstances in Naples, Florida. The main similarity of their respective disappearances is the person that they were last seen with. 
so to best tell this story, I'm just going to do so chronologically. There's a lot to talk about, so I think it's just best to kind of go in a timeline order. So strap in because this is going to be a frustrating mystery. And like most mysteries, this case will leave you with many questions about what actually happened those fateful days. Get that strap on because you're going to get frustrated. Our story begins in 2003 with 23-year-old Felipe Felipe Santos. (laughs) Felipe was from Oaxaca, Mexico, but for the past few years, he had been living with his brothers and fiance in Immokalee, Florida. Immokalee is a farming town that attracts immigrant labor from Mexico, and though he was living here and working as a farmhand, he also worked 40 miles away in Naples as a construction worker. And his construction job was where he was headed on Tuesday, October 14th, 2003, which began like any other day. Felipe was making the 45-minute drive to work in a 1988 white Ford Tempo with his two brothers, Jorge, who was older, and Salvador, who was younger. Around 6.30 a.m., they were involved in a minor car accident while they were driving down Immokalee Road, which connects Immokalee to Naples. And like always, uh, there's going to be photos on Instagram with maps and stuff so you can visualize these things. Um, I feel like I'm going to say that like every episode, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but that's where you go. Instagram, Dark Adaptation Podcast. Check it out. Yeah. So Felipe didn't see Camille Churchill driving in her white Mazda protege in the lane next to him when he ran into her. Luckily, no one was hurt. It really was just a minor collision. I believe Camille just got like a flat tire and some minor damage to the back end. So Camille said Philippe was nervous, appearing like he wanted to flee. But Camille told him to pull into Green Tree Pleasant, which is a nearby shopping center, so that they could sort everything out. Salvador said Camille was angry and wanted to call the cops, so Felipe had tried to offer her some cash so the cops didn't have to get involved. And Felipe was undocumented and he didn't have a driver's license, so the idea of the cops coming ra- like coming around to this accident is most likely the reason that he was nervous. Yeah, I was going to say this just sounds like he wasn't. He's he kind of... I almost said registered, but whatever the government <laughs> makes you do. <laughs> he wasn't legal. He wasn't yeah. He wasn't in, um, a, a citizen. Yeah. He was, um, as in, all of the signs say in this area, an illegal alien. I'm an alien. <laughs> I'm a legal alien. So he, that's probably why he was nervous. He was like, I don't, like, please just take this money. I'm so yeah. sorry I hit you. And, so, um. Felipe, uh, I can forgive the not- like legally allowed in the country but the license thing i don't know man i know that one i don't know about i don't think i have your back on that it's it's a tough one and it's like he's uh, he obviously wasn't making like all the money he could like uh that was enough money in immokalee where he was just doing farm work so he had had to drive into naples to do construction i was gonna say so this man is worked to the Bone. him and his brothers construction alone is a hell of a gig mm-hmm. and then farmhand exactly fuck so 
Camille declined his offer for the cash, uh, saying that she already called the cops. And this was mainly because she wanted a record of the accident for her insurance, because apparently she's like a fucking terrible driver and had been in multiple accidents where she was at fault. So she wanted this one documented because for once she wasn't to blame. Yeah. And in the one podcast I listened to about this case, which is so fucking good, it's called The Last Ride. Mm -hmm. It's like 10 episodes that go really in depth about this. And Camille's actually interviewed on that. She's just like, listen. I've been in so many accidents and I'm to blame. I finally was in one that wasn't my fault and I was getting that documented. <laughs> what sucks though is I'm I'm pretty sure like they pull some shit where it's like a percentage. I heard that I don't know if this listeners fact check me if you know this is true. Oh my god, is Dyson always talking about something he has no idea about? Well, I heard that I heard that if there's like an accident like the and like you're not at fault like the insurance will still take like an assessment and determine if like certain defensive driving should have stopped that and like create like a percentage that like they assess and go like, okay, well we're still raising it because like there was like 20% at fault here. Well, she's just driving in one lane and he just like changed lanes and plowed into her. So yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> so Sheriff's deputy, Steve Calkins was the officer who responded to the scene he has a 16-year veteran officer with mostly positive evaluations and accolades and positive feedback from the public. So All right. he was seen as like a decent officer, you know? Yeah, hey, there we go. Oh. Camille stated <laughs> Calkins was agitated about Felipe's lack of documentation. And Camille said that Calkins kept saying something along the lines of like, I'm tired of this shit. And he was referring to pulling people over who didn't have licenses. Okay. So Salvador, who's one of uh, Felipe's brothers, recalled that Calkins was really angry, especially with Felipe. And then on top of the already tense dealings here, you have an accident. It's the fucking early morning in the early morning in the morning. Yep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, there's also a language barrier. So it probably was not helping the situation. Oh, so frustrated. So yeah. he's now frustrated on top of angry. Exactly. So like Felipe and his brothers, they're Spanish speaking. Yeah. And their English, my understanding is they can understand it well. Mm -hmm. They it's they have a hard time speaking it. So they're trying their best to communicate. And the mm -hmm. situation is obviously just tense. Yeah. So Calkins then asked Camille and Felipe to get in his patrol car. So they could go do a reenactment of the accident because they had moved over to Green Tree uh, Shopping Center, whatever it was called, Green Tree Pleasant or some shit. Mm -hmm. So they, were, they weren't actually at the scene of the accident. But this is something that strikes everyone as strange because it's not a standard police procedure. To yeah, put... didn't come show me what you did. Yeah. Yeah, that is weird. So the public, other officers that heard that this is like eventually heard that this is what he asked them to do. We're like, that's really weird. That is not a police procedure. Yeah. Ultimately, Calkins cited Philippe for reckless driving and driving without a license or insurance. It's significant because Felipe is undocumented and he doesn't even have a license or it's a, la a lapsed license. I'm not sure which one, but either way, no nothing valid. Mm -hmm. And he says that he just cites him, which is pretty wild to me. Those are two grounds for at least taking someone into custody. But yeah. he says he cited him. So after the reenactment, 
Calkins drove Camille and Philippe back to Green Tree Pleasant. Green Tree Pleasant Shopping Center, that is what it is, mm-hmm. um, where their cars had been. So Camille left with her supervisor, who was there to pick her up since her car had that flat tire. And Felipe was still in the back of the patrol car. So he's just sitting there. And Calkins gets in. And Jorge and Salvador watched as Calkins drove away with their brother in the backseat still. And this was the last time that Felipe was ever seen. What? Yeah. With a cop? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So, Wait a minute. <laughs> I definitely spell. Po- <laughs> I was like, I could see you're going for Wayne's World again. Do you think we could get like a, just a track record of how many times we can reference Wayne's World? Because I feel like we keep doing it. Oh, I know. We, well, we are big fans of that. Of, so. of course. Yeah. I love Wayne's World. I love it, man. Yeah. Party on. Okay, so after the reenactment. <laughs> Oh, nope, I already said that. A foreman from the job site the brothers were working at picked up Jorge and Salvador. Because remember, they were on their way to work. Mm-hmm. So they're telling their boss, like, yo, the weirdest thing just happened. It was really fucking scary. We're all horrified that we're going to get deported. But this fucking cop took Felipe. And we don't know where he is. He took him with him. And so the boss hears about this, about him being taken from the scene. So he contacts the county jail assuming that Calkins had arrested Felipe, so he was going to to call to post Felipe's bail. But he learned when he called that Felipe was never booked. And there's also another version that states that it was actually Jorge that went to the jail to bail Felipe out and learned that he was never booked. But either way, mm-hmm. it's learned that no one knows where Felipe is. He's last seen in the cop car and then last seen never in... made it to the precinct. We or jail or whatever it was the um it's collier county sheriff's department so it's like one of the sheriff's offices i guess i don't know Hmm. but he never makes it there no one knows where he is felipe and then felipe didn't return home that night and his family was worried they knew that he wasn't at the jail because they called to bail him out and everyone who they talked to was like who like that guy's never booked here i have no idea who you're talking about i'm getting mad calgary rcmp vibes okay well just yeah, that is Uh-oh. something that people talk about. Not so much as like, what was those called? Like Starlight Tours or whatever? Yeah, Starlight Tours. Yeah. I was going to say Snow Ride or some dumb shit, but that's the, yeah, it's Starlight, Starlight Tours. Tours. They do them um, in Calgary because it's, or just Alberta because it's yeah. cold. Do it in Australia because of the outback. Here in Florida, apparently they do it because of the Everglades. So the Everglades are... Uh-huh. all of those are terrible i was i was going in my head i'm like australia and i'm like no australia wildlife fuck you up the everglades are full of like alligators and yeah and and then i was like shit and then i was like it's florida and then in canada if someone does that does that in alberta you'll just die you just die so oh you're not wrong to get those vibes that is certainly something that we'll talk about later or as we just did. I, I take back my... All right. That's why I was like looking at <laughs> you. You like, gave me such a face. I'm like trying to stop you from continuing. So I just shook my head disgusted. Like, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. Just, you stop right now. Yeah. So yes, his brothers and his family know that he's not at the jail. They even called hospitals. He wasn't there. 
He wasn't with any of his friends. He wasn't at any of his many job sites. He was nowhere. Felipe was missing and no one had any idea where he had gone. He just seemingly vanished off the face of the earth. His brother tried to report him missing, but was given the usual roadblocks. Like, he's an adult. You have to wait X amount of time. All those things that we've heard a million times, especially if you listen to Missing, Murdered, Mysterious. Mm -hmm. So the family did everything they could. They spoke to people at and around the scene of the accident. They called the Mexican consulate. They even had their English-speaking friend, um, a woman named Reyes Martinez. They had her contact the police on their behalf to avoid any language barrier or translation issues. Mm -hmm. So Martinez called the sheriff's office to tell them Felipe was still missing and was last seen with Deputy Calkins. And whoever answered the phone was confused because, as we know, there's no report that Felipe is arrested. There isn't even a report made by Calkins that matched what Martinez was telling them about this supposed accident. And I'd be, I'd be so creeped out. I would if be I was, too. I'd be if horrified. I at, if I was working at like the precinct and I took a call and they were like, named the officer and Name said, the officer. took him into custody, but there's no record and that person's missing, I'd be like, Ugh. yeah be like uh, you stay hold hold on the line <laughs> especially when like i had said in the beginning apparently this officer is he's a sick well he is a 16 year veteran not apparently like that's true at this mm -hmm. point and apparently he had positive reviews and was a pretty good officer so it i think it would kind of be a trip yeah he's got like a great five-star rating on rate my constable basically yeah rate my deputy <laughs> a little survey after your arrest and so a tip just, option thank you so much if you'll just scan this qr code <laughs> <laughs> it'll take you to survey monkey and you'll get a 15 percent discount on red lobster <laughs> it's, it's i really recommend it right now it's 25 dollars for endless shrimp hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah whoever answers the phone's confused they're like like you said tripped out like well they're giving the exact name of the deputy they're telling me exactly what happened they're giving dates times witnesses but there's no record that matches anything so calkins actually happened to be in the office when martinez called and so a supervisor asked calkins about the situation and calkins stated that it was true he had technically arrested philippe but he had quickly changed his mind about the arrest when he saw how quote polite and cooperative he was so he instead dropped him off at a circle k convenience store near the shopping center sounds like the most uncop thing i've ever heard in my life right <laughs> and calkins then got on the phone himself to speak to martinez where he urged her to file a missing persons report oh wow real nice don't you say like five thousand red flags here it's so fucking scary yeah Usually a deputy would be like, ma'am, like I'm maybe, you know, he just is out. like the typical things cops say, like maybe he's out on a bender. Maybe he needed a break from life. Maybe he whatever, whatever, from whatever. Life. I don't know. He's working all these jobs. Yeah, He wouldn't know that. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's always those excuses. Yeah. And instead, he's just like, you should file a missing persons report. Oh, yeah. Calkins. Why are you so sure he should file a missing persons report? Is this man's missing? I mean, everyone <laughs> thinks he is, but you know he is. Yeah. Why are you so sus? Yeah. The fuck's your problem, Calkins? <laughs> Next person to say shenanigans is gonna get pistol whipped. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that might be that might be a different cop. <laughs> oh, and uh, 
Uh, on October 29th, two weeks since Felipe's mysterious disappearance, Jorge filed the official missing persons report for his brother. While it was true that Felipe was undocumented and worried about getting arrested on the morning of that accident, Jorge made it very clear that Felipe would not leave his family without any word. And Felipe was described as this like calm, respectful, hardworking man. And his sudden disappearance was completely out of character, especially since he was a new dad. His fiance, Apolina, had just given birth to a baby girl. And he was so excited to be a dad. And even though they had only had four months together, 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 he was a loving, doting father. Like he loved his daughter and he wouldn't just bail on them. Mm -hmm. Even think about how hard he was working. Like this guy isn't just going to up and leave, especially on the way to work with his two brothers. Like. Literally, no, no everyone sense. is like, yeah, he was seen in a cop car. Because, like, when missing people in the back of your head, you're always, you always have to weigh, like, you know, did they, did they kill themselves, right? Uh -huh. But, like, what is he going to do? Fucking walk out of the cop car and just off, like, exactly. wander off and, and do that? I don't think so. Right. What the fuck happened? On top of that, investigators had little information to go on when it came to locating, locating. Locating. Locating Felipe. Calkins never filed an incident report, like we know. And it had been two weeks since Felipe's last scene. There was no indication that Felipe was suicidal. He didn't have any alcohol or drug dependency. And he didn't have any enemies. Investigators did what, whatever they did. I just want to point out that makes him like the best construction worker slash farmhand I in know. the world. I yeah, know. so he doesn't drink. He doesn't do drugs. He's family man he is be like this isn't a real person there's nothing <laughs> wrong with this guy unless you want to like harp on the fact that he's undocumented and was driving without Which a license because no like <laughs> he's doing construction work this guy by all accounts by everyone that knows felipe his fiance his parents back in mexico uh his bosses people at the uh mexican consulate and then there's fuck what's it called there's um because he's living in Immokalee uh I think it's called the Immokalee Coalition of Immigrant Workers or something mm -hmm. so it's just that like this coalition that talks with and deals with the migrant workers that are there mm -hmm. and everyone there great things to say about Felipe like this man isn't just going to walk away from his life and he just had a baby that he loved so ugh, yeah it's just and so it, frustrating and the thing is like we're also like the only reason we're talking about this is because we're we're really just going like well what else could it ever possibly be other than what it looks like mm -hmm. right so uh, occam's razor <laughs> yeah but yeah exactly mm -hmm. so uh, like i said investigators did whatever they did it wasn't really investigate because it was apparent that they had tunnel vision this whole time. They just thought that Felipe had fled the country or was hiding out since he was undocumented. Like they were not taking his disappearance seriously. I fucking hate when they do that. It's so annoying. Like so annoying. They're like, well, we're just taking the most obvious leads and just pursuing it. It's like, well, the most obvious lead is uh, the fucking cop car that pulled him away, isn't it? Yeah. A cop car that drove away with this man in the back of it and no one saw him again and this man deputy Hawkins, didn't put it in a 
report doesn't have any proper documentations for the supposed citations he gave him for the supposed arrest he made but changed his mind like come on yeah come on yeah come on so yes the collier county sheriff's department didn't view felipe's disappearance through the lens that he was a victim at all just that he walked away Amazingly, Calkins wasn't formally questioned, amazingly sarcastically, wasn't formally questioned about Felipe's disappearance until six days after the official missing person report was filed. That's three weeks after Felipe's vanished. Calkins said that he had drove Felipe to a Circle K gas station less than a mile from the crash site, this time adding that he did so because Felipe needed to use the phone. He claims he gave Felipe citations and his car keys back and then just left him at Circle K. Drove away. That was the last time he saw Felipe. You left him at a Circle K with just his keys? Yeah, I guess so. Jesus Christ. Because he's like, well, Felipe said he needed to make a phone call. And he's like, you know, he was really nice. He was really cooperative. I changed my mind about arresting him. So I just let him go at the Circle K because he needed to use the phone. And I left. Hmm. Another officer headed over to the Circle K to check out the surveillance footage, but Felipe was nowhere to be seen on camera. Footage was now footage was only captured inside the store. There wasn't any exterior footage, Mm -hmm. but still there was no sign of him. There's also no record that Felipe made a phone call from Circle K to get a cab or to tell his family what happened to check in at a job site. He was supposed to be working at nothing. There's no call that comes from that Circle K. Yeah. And what year is this again? 2003. Yeah. Okay. It's October 14th, 2003, I believe. I'm going to go back up here. I was going to say that's, uh, that's actually kind of frustrating because there would still be payphones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This It would have been a payphone. It's not like he would have went in to ask the clerk to use the phone. Like, he'd be using a payphone. Mm-hmm. While they couldn't verify Calkins' version of events... No red flags were raised for investigators, apparently. Not even after they learned that Calkins never informed dispatch that he was giving a ride to Philippe, which is protocol. If you are going to be giving a civilian, anybody, just a ride in your patrol car, Mm -hmm. like, you're not a fucking Uber. You're not a taxi. Like, you don't do that. You're not everyone's best friend. Mm -hmm. So if you are going to be transporting an individual in your vehicle, you have to document those things in case anything goes wrong. Yeah, like we watched Cops recently. You see how often they have to chime into the radio to say they're doing, like, every little thing. Everything. Like, there's codes for, like... There's They they were like, I'm going to pull them over, and then... I I successfully pulled pulled them over. I'm getting out of the vehicle. I'm checking on this vehicle. Like, you have to give a play-by-play. Yeah, they're like, code six, code four. Mm -hmm. Like, So, Calkins never informed dispatch that he was giving a ride to Felipe. And after... Oh, and he never told anybody after they learned that his... Whoa, what the hell did I just write there? Brianna just had a stroke, everyone. I have about a few a day. I'm going to the doctor. It's okay. (laughs) So... Can I come? (laughs) I also have issues. <laughs> so, yeah, you could come with me. Thanks. It's like um, in Step Brothers when they go to all the job interviews as a team. <laughs> <laughs> We're here to fuck shit up. Yeah, we go into my doctor's <laughs> office. <laughs> We're here because we fucked ourselves up. <laughs> We're getting old. Yeah. So, uh, right. I was saying that investigators could not verify Calkins' version of events. And... 
no red flags were apparently raised, not even after they learned that his whereabouts after leaving the scene of the car accident were unknown for hours. Hours or an hour. I believe I wrote hours, even. but I'm pretty sure it was w one hour. Yeah, even. Yeah, yeah, Jesus. yeah. They're unaccounted for an hour after Felipe vanishes, and they can't verify it. They have no idea where he was or what he was doing. Where was radio check on that? Still, no red flags are raised. What the fuck? It's so frustrating. I told you. I warned you. I warned everyone. Man, the, the like, the dispatch, like, chimes in to check where the cars are all the time. This guy just seems to live by his own rules. So... <laughs> smoking gun bullshit is this <laughs> sadly just real life man oh my god it's like that mel gibson movie where he's a cop lethal weapon yeah <laughs> <laughs> i've never heard someone describe lethal weapon as the mel gibson movie where he's a cop everyone just knows lethal weapon <laughs> i've only seen the trailer are you serious? You've never even seen like the OG. I've never least... seen the original. The... Remember, remember you walked in and I was trying to watch the like Netflix. Okay, well revamp? that's just embarrassing. I turned that off because I knew this wasn't right. I knew it's I was right. I was breaking some cardinal sin, so I shut it off. But I've only seen the trailer. You know, say what you want about Mel Gibson. He's what he is. But yeah, um, Lethal Weapon is good. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I keep thinking of Always Sunny. <laughs> Why? Because they did like a whole episode about oh. how great Lethal Weapon is. That's a good episode. I yeah. Mean, gotta get past to the blackface, it. but it's a good episode. <laughs> it's Always Sunny. It's the whole point of it. Yeah. So a complaint against Calkins was filed alongside the missing person report by uh, Jorge. So the complaint was investigated internally. Be be yeah. Jesus. By a PIO. A PIO is a public information officer. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're part of the sheriff's department, but you triage all of the public inquiries and complaints, basically. Yeah, and you're like, I was going to say, like, the idea is you're usually impartial, but like, no, I mean, you're you should not. be, but of course you're not. No, you're not. You, because you're part of the precinct. You're in there. Yeah, I was a PIO what? for where we worked before. Yeah, I guess so. And it's like, you can kind of dictate things on your own terms because people are obviously inquiring about something they don't know about. So then yeah. you can kind of yeah, push whatever. And, I, and I've dealt with enough from the, even from the government, I've dealt with like four PIOs from freedom of information requests that I've done. Mm. And like, they all do the same thing and where they try and like lead you a certain way. But like I had one just last year, two years ago, call me up and just said, hi, I'm like finally reaching out about your request. And then kind of just like hinted, it's a lot of work. And I just went yeah. like, ah, forget about it, man. It's all good, man. <laughs> I've only done one freedom of information request. And it was for when we did the bathtub, bathtub girls. And I wanted the 911 call. Yeah. But no luck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Got a letter back and my money back. So. Oh, they give you your money back at least. Did they, or did I just imagine and wish they did? They usually would. I don't remember, but I know I have the letter somewhere, and they just said, like, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Not available. It's so annoying, too, because I don't really have to give a reason. Yeah, our uh, our whole reporting. They're like, oh, you can ask, but. Mm. Yeah. This is why our news sucks so much sometimes. Man, okay, so I have, like, so many different Instagram accounts, and the one I keep going on to that I don't use very often keeps 
every time sending me bombarding me with notifications about how I'm not going to be able to see the news anymore. Oh, God. And I'm like, I fucking know. Because Canada has all those new laws about n not having third party give you the news. Yeah, it, it, third party social media has to pay for each link that they post. Yeah. Oh, my God, we've derailed, but <laughs> crazy. So this, yeah. this um, complaint that was filed alongside the missing persons complaint was investigated internally by a public information officer. But on November 27th, 2003, Calkins was cleared of any wrongdoing. Basically, this investigation concluded that Calkins conducted his duties in a manner that was lawful and correct, and he was exonerated. And the internal investigation was closed at the beginning of December. So, All right. Well, this is why I fucking hate the thin blue line. Completely. Like that... The, the principle of that mm -hmm. is just fucked. And I use investigation loosely because minimal work was done. Mm -hmm. Those closest to Felipe were not interviewed. Not even his brothers who were at the scene when Felipe was taken. And there was only one sworn, one sworn statement taken. And that was from Calkins himself. So it's a pathetic attempt at an investigation. You can't call it that. We tried nothing. We're all out of ideas, man. Yeah. <laughs> Might as well have said that. Yep. So it seems like it was just protocol to do this, quote, investigation since a complaint was filed, but it was not handled with much seriousness. Again, you can see this pattern of not treating Felipe like he's a victim, not taking Felipe's disappearance seriously, just throwing him to the wayside and just... Yeah, just textbook <sighs> prejudicial. Completely. Yeah. Felipe's disappearance wasn't on the news. There was no flyers printed. Police were not talking with the media about this case. Nothing. Felipe would not be mentioned on any news broadcast or missing persons flyers until months later. And it was only after another man of color went missing. Terrence Williams was born on January 17, 1976, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where he lived for most of his life. In 2004, Terrence was a 27-year-old father of four, living in Naples, Florida. That reminds me of my mom. She was 27 and had four kids. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> she was doing the damn thing. The stress. His mother... Um, I'm 90% sure it's Marcia. You, I see some news broadcasts and they say Marcia, but I'm pretty sure it's Marcia. Yeah. Okay. So his, his mother, Marcia had moved to Naples, Florida in 2001 and he followed so that he could be near her. They were very close. Terrence was Marcia's only child. She had him when she was only 17. And as she describes, they basically grew up together. And because of this, they had a very strong bond, a great relationship, and they saw each other and spoke often. Marcia actually drove Terrence to work. He worked on and off in construction, but in January 2004, he was working as a cook at Pizza Hut as well. So uh, she was driving him around to work. She also drove him around for errands, stuff like that, because he didn't drive. Mm -hmm. Back in Chattanooga, Terrence had been cited for driving under the influence, so his driver's license had been revoked. 
Regardless of that fact, he had just bought a 1983 white Cadillac, which was not registered, and his family was not happy about that. Yeah. His mom and his stepdad specifically were on his case about it. They did not want him driving it. He couldn't drive it legally, and it wasn't registered or insured, so they were, like, on his case about it. They're mm-hmm. like, do not fucking get in that car until you get your shit straightened out. You cannot get in that car blaring Pearl Cadillac until <laughs> you get your goddamn license back. <laughs> I rhymed. On the, <laughs> on the evening of Sunday, January 11th, 2004, Terrence asked his roommate, Jason Gonzalez, if he could give him a ride. Solid name. Jason Gonzalez. Yeah. It's a good one. Uh, he asked if Jason could give him a ride to a coworker's apartment to attend a party. And he also invited Jason to tag along since he hadn't been out with his new Pizza Hut coworkers before. And because he and Jason went out together all of the time, it was like their thing. They were roommates, but they were also really good friends. Mm-hmm. And Jason talks about how they were two peas in a pod because Terrence was super introverted and Jason was really extroverted. So they kind of fed off of each other to strike a perfect balance. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Terrence invited Jason, but Jason declined because he had his kids over. And in the one documentary I watched, Jason was just like, if I got my kids, that's that's it. I have my kids. I'm not doing anything with anyone. I'm staying with my kids. Mm-hmm. So he was like, I'm not going, man. Like, have fun on your own. So Terrence had no luck finding a ride to this party. So he decided to drive his Cadillac. Despite having no license or registration for his car, and despite people being on his case about not doing exactly what he was about to do, but he—I don't know if it was a—it was just stupid. It was just it was a stupid fucking. It was just a stupid decision. He obviously really wanted to go to this party. He hadn't been at Pizza Hut very long. He probably wanted to fit in with his coworkers and stuff, but mm-hmm. he should have taken a cab or something. But yeah, literally anything else. He did drive that Cadillac. So he did get to the party without incident. And people at the party said that Terrence was fine. You know, he's acting normal. They said he drank some rum from a tumbler and all seemed well. He left around 6 a.m. on January 12th on his own in his Cadillac. And now 6 a.m. seems like super late or early, I guess, however you look at it. But mm-hmm. most of the people had been there all night partying and started departing one by one in those early morning hours. So it wasn't really weird no i think everyone's kind of been at the parties where it's like that's when you leave yeah the the sun starts coming up and everyone is like awkwardly standing around yeah if you didn't (laughs) if you weren't one of the people to pass out then Mm -hmm. you're probably just gonna be like well guess i'll let out now and then everyone's just stoked to sleep in their own bed always Mm -hmm. so even though the homeowner and others attending the party saw terrence leave he never returned home And this didn't worry Jason, the roommate, too much at first. Jason said he and Terrence had a rule where Terrence had basically said, you know, if you don't hear from me for a day or two, that's normal. I'm off doing my own thing, whatever. But if it's been three days and I do not reach out to you in any capacity, something's wrong. Which I think is actually really good in general rule to have. Like whether this is the rule exactly or if it's just rules you set for your roommates and those close to you to kind of look out for i i love that idea mm-hmm. so meanwhile marcia terrence's mother was getting a bit worried because she spoke to her son pretty much every day and the fact that she wasn't getting any calls from him or him returning her calls it was becoming concerning 
So after three days passed and no one had heard from Terrence, Jason contacted Marcia to see if he was with her or if she had heard from him because it's three days now. It's the rule. I haven't heard from you. Maybe something's wrong. Marcia said he was not with her and she hadn't talked to him. So time to worry. Mm -hmm. Marcia called the Collier County Sheriff's Office to file a missing persons report. And you already know what I'm going to say. Yep. There was resistance. Yep. Same old song and dance. Yep. Well, I got to wait a little longer and he's an adult and he's probably just out having fun partying and, you know, you should just give it some time. Yep. Exactly verbatim. Much like Felipe, Terrence didn't have a history of disappearing, of suicidal ideations, mental health troubles, nothing. He would never take off without telling someone, especially Marcia, who, as we all know, they were incredibly close. Plus, Terrence had plans for the near future. For example, just days before he went missing, he was getting paperwork in order to open up a barber shop, something he always dreamed of doing. He also had those four children that he was working on getting custody of. So all signs show that Terrence was trying to better himself and make a stable life. He was making plans for the future, which goes against um, somebody taking their own life. Yeah. For the most part. Obviously, there's exceptions. But mm -hmm. sadly, just like Felipe's case, investigators did not treat Terrence as a victim. They assumed that he had fled or that he was hiding. Basically, that he was missing of his own volition. And I just think everybody flees, huh? Yeah. So I think in Felipe's case, it was mostly because he was undocumented. Yeah. And in Terrence's case, it seems to stem from the fact that Terrence either currently or previously had a warrant for his arrest for, I believe, unpaid child support. Mm -hmm. So the police were like, he's hiding to avoid that, which everyone around him was like, that's absolutely ridiculous. That's it's stupid. So I think that's sort of the main thing that they were leaning on. Like, well, I mean, there is or was a warrant, so he's probably just, like, in hiding. Yeah. At Marcia's insistence, a missing persons report was reluctantly taken. And you shouldn't have to fucking insist. It, what does it matter if you have a missing persons report filed and the person may have fled? That um, should just be an answer to the missing persons report, like, when they find them. I know. It shouldn't be like a like a barrier to filing one. It's just because they don't want to do the paperwork. They don't want to have to investigate or have a responsibility. Like they don't want a fucking job. Right. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Yeah. It does it's sound like, like that. it's like it's like you ask them to write a fucking ten page essay or some shit the way they fucking try and dodge this shit. It's just the paper form, like goddamn. Just take the fucking report. Yeah. <laughs> just take the fucking report. Yeah. You know the family isn't just gonna wipe their hands and be like great they took the report like these families care about their loved one they're going to also be doing shit on their end too so yeah. like take the fucking report yeah and who knows you know what like maybe maybe if you take the goddamn report and you were right and you can close the report you got a successful conclusion to the report which i know you guys have quotas for so fucking do it just jesus frustrating yeah i'm gonna say it's just frustrating everything is so fucking frustrating and you just want to grab people and be like, just fucking do it. <laughs> so it was taken on January 15th, 2004. But that's about as far as it went. Police weren't of any further help. They were like, fine, we finally took the report. Are you happy? Anyway, so Marcia took matters into her own hands. 
She contacted her family back in Tennessee to help make phone calls to all the usual places in hopes of locating Terrence. They called hospitals, morgues, everything like that, jails, whatever. They even called tow companies because they knew that he had been in that Cadillac. And Marcia's sister, so Terrence's aunt, Pam, was able to track down Terrence's Cadillac, which had been towed from Naples Memorial Garden Cemetery on Immokalee Road. If you'll remember, Immokalee Road is where Felipe was last seen. Yeah, and this car was at a cemetery? Uh-huh. Well, that's fucking not good. So the tow report was signed by none other than Deputy Steve Cockins. The man last seen with the missing Felipe Santos. Marcia contacted the employees at the cemetery storefront to see if they saw anything. And they told her that they did. Now, they didn't use Calkins and Terrence's names because obviously at the time they didn't know them by name. Mm -hmm. But we know it was them now. So I'm using their names here just for clarification. Mm -hmm. So the the cemetery employees said that they witnessed... Calkins pulled Terrence over with lights only, no sirens, between 9 and 10 a.m. on January 12th. So this is the day after the party, or like the morning. You know what I mean? They went. He yep. went to the party yep. January 11th night, left. This is when that happens. Terrence drove his Cadillac into the cemetery parking lot, where it appeared he was asked by Calkins for identification, which Terrence didn't appear to have. Employees stated that Calkins patted Terrence down and then put him in the back of his patrol car. Calkins went into the storefront and told the employees he was leaving the Cadillac in the parking lot, but would be back for it. And then he drove off with Terrence in the back of his car. The employees witnessed Calkins return to the cemetery alone between 30 to 90 minutes later and watched him move the Cadillac from the parking lot to the side of Immokalee Road. The employee then saw Calkins throw the car keys on the ground next to the car, where he waited for a bit until a tow truck arrived. What the fuck? That's so weird. So weird. On top of telling this story to Marcia, the witnesses also later gave their story as a sworn statement, signed and everything under the threat of perjury. So Mm -hmm. the family and public are inclined to believe their story. And plus what they have to gain from lying. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm pretty fucking inclined to believe this. Exactly. Yeah. At the time that they gave their story, they didn't know that there was potential for anything nefarious going on or whatever. So it's not like they were deliberately feeding into a narrative. Like, they just said what they saw. Mm-hmm. So that ends the witness statements from the cemetery employees. So now I'm just going to go back into the facts of the story as we know them and keep telling it. So early in the afternoon... A tow truck arrived to take that Cadillac. Calkins told the driver that the car had been abandoned. The driver thought this was weird because the keys were with the vehicle, sort of. (laughs) The license plates were still there and there was personal belongings inside that the driver describes as like stuff you would want and need. Like if you were going to an abandoned car, you wouldn't leave these things in there. And he said that in all of his years of towing, he's never seen a car abandoned in this manner. And when he says this, I believe it was in the podcast that I listened to that the last ride one. Um, He says that he at this time when he goes to tow this Cadillac, he had not been towing for very long. 
he hadn't made that many calls. So he was still new and he was still like getting familiar with the types of calls he would be sent to. And when he gives the interview about how looking back, it's weird. Mm -hmm. It's because he had worked for so long. So he had experience in seeing all kinds of abandoned vehicles and what that typically looks like. So it's more of like looking back, he looks on this, looks back on this car and he's like, this is not a typical situation of a car that's abandoned. That's the most upsetting situation. Yeah. So he like is talking about how if he only had that expertise behind him, he might have maybe handled it a little bit differently. He might have looked at the keys on the ground and said, they're not even dusty, man. What's going on here? Yeah. Like he probably would have asked different questions, had that, like I said, expertise to kind of lean on to pick apart the scene a bit more. But he was so new at it that... It, it was just a call. And plus, like, when you're called and you're brand new at towing and it's like a it, cop, it's a you're kind of like, don't embarrass yourself in front of the cop. They do. They deal with these all the time. And But you can hear in his voice later as he's talking about it, like, in a retrospective manner, like, fuck, like, it was so abnormal. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was interesting. So following the witness statements from the cemetery employees and seeing that Calkins' name was on the tow papers... Mm-hmm. Terrence's family contacted the sheriff's department for more information. They were trying to get answers as to what happened to Terrence. This is when they learned that Calkins had not filed an incident report, nor had he made an arrest that day. Terrence's family were repeatedly asked to speak to Calkins so that they could clarify things because they're like, people are throwing your name out there, your name specifically. Where did they get that name? Obviously, they saw you. They talked to you. I want to talk to you. I want to clarify what the hell you did with my son. Where's my son? After one call from Pam, so that's the aunt and Marcia's sister, dispatch finally reached out to Calkins about the family wanting to speak to him. And I just have a little clip here that we'll play. I had a call from Vanderbilt 111 Monday, a Cadillac. Do you remember it? No. Do you remember? She said it was near the cemetery. Honey, the people at the cemetery are telling her you put somebody in the back of your vehicle and arrested them, and I don't show you arresting anybody. I never arrested nobody. So, oh my god, just the way that he's like Napoleon Dynamite sighing. (sighs) I know. No. So the clip goes on like that, dispatch asking questions, Calkins claiming to have no memory or ma- of making an arrest or having any cars towed that day. He's just acting totally oblivious. <laughs> oblivious to the whole situation. Yeah. He was slow to answer her questions. He kept saying that, like shit like that, like, I don't know, or like, I don't know, or I don't know. <laughs> there was a couple times where he would just keep saying, I'll have to check my notes. Which is really yeah, weird. Is, that's just the stall tactic. Yeah. yeah. So he never spoke to the family. Whereas that first time with Felipe's disappearance, he eventually was he was in the office, so he just spoke to Martinez. But this time around, even though Marcia mainly is like, I want to speak to him. I need to speak to him. He never did. He never spoke to the family at all. Instead, that dispatcher that we just heard, called Mm -hmm. Pam back after this call and said, Calkins didn't take a report for the event in question. There's no records that match Terrence being arrested on Immokalee Road that day. And basically, you're wrong. So get your facts straight from whoever's telling you Terrence was arrested at the cemetery by Calkins because he wasn't. 
And this is so frustrating because, like, just because there is no record that an arrest happened or whatever, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Especially because, at least by looking at how Calkins handled Felipe and everything, he doesn't appear to do everything by the book. He seems to kind of take the law or policies into his own hands and just do what he wants. Yeah. So it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Can we get a location check on car ramrod please <laughs> a few days after that dispatch call of Calkins and pam Calkins supervisor spoke to him about the incident because marcia is not letting up she's like something stinks here and i want answers so the supervisor speaks to Calkins and is like what's going on at this point Calkins claimed to have a better recollection of his interaction with terrence that day so the supervisor mm. was like okay cool submit an incident report since no records of an interaction exist you have to submit an incident report how does that not send chills down your spine when all of a sudden he's like oh oh yo oh Oh. also it's not like cadillac yeah it's not like we're going months or years after like the point the cemetery workers say they saw Calkins and terrence um in the parking lot Mm-hmm. To the point that dispatch calls him at home and he's going like, I don't know. That's four days. Like, it's pretty recent. Yeah. And like, you're not going to forget. Like, I know cops will probably pull a ton of people over. Like, you pulled someone over at like six in the fucking morning and had his Cadillac towed. This one was about nine or ten that he pulled uh, yeah. him over. But like, you would remember it. Like. It's You'd think several it's it's a big chunk of your day. Especially if you drove away with this person. Yeah. That makes no sense. Uh so that's where we're gonna end it for part one. Oh. <laughs> Suck it, listeners. <laughs> are you on this are you on the edge of your seats? Good. Stay there. Stay there. Next week, I'll tell you about Cockin's recovered memory of dealing with Terrence. Mm. Some inconsistencies. More Mm -hmm. internal affairs investigations. More inconsistencies. A couple theories as to the fate of Terrence and Felipe. And inconsistencies. Hey, listeners, if you love the idea of cops investigating themselves, you're going to love episode part two. Episode part two. Episode part two. I'm going to title it that now. Mm Mm-hmm. Don't. All right. So, yeah, make sure you come back for part two. Yeah. All of the sources used are available on our website, darkadaptationpodcast.ca. While you're there, you can also support us by buying us a coffee. I love coffee. It's to fuel our research. (laughs) (laughs) Or you can buy an embroidered patch if you're so inclined. They're beautiful. They're lovely. I have one on my jacket, on my purse. I have them all over the place. Mm -hmm. But if you cannot support monetarily, that's okay. Just rate. Send us a virtual hug with a little five star. Oh, well, that's cute. Yeah. Yeah. Rate the show. I could rather use um, guys. Please. Plez. Plez. Leave a review if the platform allows that. Uh, thanks to everyone who's been leaving us five stars and sharing the show with their friends and family. It means the world to us. It helps us grow. All mm-hmm. of that. I also mentioned a lot of locations throughout this episode. So make sure you follow us on Instagram to see maps of the areas we've discussed at Dark Adaptation Podcast. And while you're there, send over some case suggestions or say hi, whatever. 
Thank you for tuning in, and we'll catch you on the dark side for part two. Part two. Episode two. Episode part two. Episode part two. And goodbye. Bye-bye.